This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special discount code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets. Online at Fansets.com. Welcome back, Mr. Mud. Space Whales and 53 Ways to Kill Your Captain. We have watched and rewatched Episode 7 of Star Trek Discovery, and it's time now to hit that all-famous reset button and dissect another amazing episode. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Episode 7 of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. It is great to be here finally with you once again to talk about this juggernaut of Star Trek awesomeness that is Discovery. And the cool thing is, in about 30 minutes, we're going to start all over and talk about it all again, right? So, what does that actually mean? Well, stay tuned for more on that. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and we are thrilled that you are joining us today. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. Magic to make the sanest man go mad yet again raised the bar with Discovery, and there were so many great moments to talk about. In addition to our signature episode analysis, we'll get our thoughts as to what we think might happen next, and more importantly, we'll discuss what this week's episode helped us discover about our own humanity. And, you know, first of all, I have to give my apologies for the delay in the podcast this week. Uh, We had a pretty big storm hit the Northeast this past Sunday night. I'm still without power here in Maine, but luckily my in-laws do have power. So I've transported the studio to North Yarmouth, and so here we are. And when I say we, you know I can't do this alone. I'd rather be caught in an infinite time loop than try and surf these podcast waves by myself. Luckily, I'm hanging 10 with someone who needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. He's my friend, he's my brother in Trek, and he is the amazingly talented co-host Bill Smith. Bill, uh, we made it finally. It took a few days, but here we are. It did, Dan. Thanks so much. Um, it's great to be here, and uh, I'm just glad that uh, you're not stuck in the woods somewhere, you know, in the dark. So it, we're, we're happy to have you back, buddy. I can't wait to talk about this episode. Uh, I can't wait to talk about it either. And I'll tell you what, I never want to be without power for more than two or three hours ever again, because it's been brutal. (laughs) I can only imagine. Uh, But you've endured it well. And uh, here we are. Here we are. And um, normally at this point, we would be introducing our uh, guest who's going to join us for this week's episode. But things are a little different this week, I think. They are, Dan. We had Kevin Reitzel from the Fandom Podcast Network lined up to be in this episode, and unfortunately, with the delays, we had to reschedule. So we'll definitely have Kevin back later in the season. He's a huge Star Trek fan of the highest order, and uh, he's itching to talk some Discovery. But tonight, Dan, you and I are going to kick it Trek Geek style and talk about this episode mano a mano. I like it. I think we'll do pretty good, and we can't wait to have Kevin on at a future uh, future time because uh, I know that he was looking forward to joining us. And uh, de- don't worry, Kevin, we'll get you on very, very shortly. Uh, before we get started, though, Bill, I think there are a few ways that uh, folks may want to get in touch with us. There's uh, some ways that they can do it, isn't there? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. There absolutely are, Dan. Those hailing frequencies are open now, and you can find us on Twitter, at Discovering Trek. 
And on Facebook, you can locate us at facebook.com slash discoveringtrek. There you can join in on the discussion, leave us comments, questions, suggestions, or maybe great generator recommendations for Dan. Plus, don't forget, you can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Tell us what you think about this episode or any episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, but please remember, any comments you leave us may be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thanks, Bill. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers, so if you haven't watched Episode 7 of Star Trek Discovery, you know the drill. Stop listening right now. Go on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details from magic to make the sanest man go mad. Michael Burnham makes a personal log entry about her time on the Discovery so far. She's found a friend, the ship has found a routine, and the Discovery has given Starfleet the advantage it needs in the war against the Klingons. Paul Stamets has unlocked new aspects of his personality by interfacing with the Spore Drive, and Burnham has taken a particular interest in Ash Tyler. Tonight, however, Burnham embarks into the truly unknown territory for her. She's attending a party. As one might guess, parties aren't her scene. She wallflowers for a bit before Tilly asks her what the deal is. There's an odd power fluctuation, something a discovery should have redundancies in place to avoid, and Tilly questions Burnham about her interest in Tyler. Tyler makes a speech and then joins Burnham, and the two of them are called to the bridge. On their way there, Burnham and Tyler bump into Stamets and Dr. Culver, literally. Apparently, one of the new personality traits revealed about Stamets is he's a hugger. Who knew? It gets a little weird. And Burnham and Tyler head for the bridge. The Discovery encounters an endangered species called a Gormagander. It's like a kind of space whale. And, following protocol, beams it on board to be transported to a facility where it can be cared for. Everything seems to be going okay until the creature's mouth, I think it's a mouth, opens and Harry Mudd emerges, wearing a helmet. He steps out of the creature and opens fire on the crew, killing several of them. Burnham informs the bridge that there's an intruder aboard. Lorca gets Mud's attention, and Mud reveals himself and wants to find out what is so special about the Discovery so he can sell it to the Klingons. Mud says being left behind by Lorca caused him to lose his dearest Stella and that he'll pay Lorca back by killing him as many times as possible. He then triggers a device that causes the Discovery to explode. We then jump back to the party in Tyler's speech. He and Burnham are called to the bridge again, but this time they don't run into Stamets. He catches up to them, though, and tries to explain that something is wrong, and he warns them about the Gormagander. The what? On the bridge, the ship encounters the Gormagander again. Burnham and Tyler are clearly clearly puzzled, and they volunteer to check it out. The space whale is beamed aboard, but this time the black alert sounds, and Captain Lurka says he didn't order a jump. Guess who? Burnham and Tyler head to engineering where they find Harry Mudd. He's trying to initiate a jump and is unable to figure out why he can't. Tyler fires his phaser, but there's a force field in the way. Stamets arrives and shoots Mud with a phaser, but it's too late. The engines are overloading and it can't be stopped at this point. Stamets says that they've been through this multiple times before and he hasn't yet figured out how to fix it. He says he'll see them soon 
just before the ship explodes again. Hey, we're back at the party. This time, Stamets is looking for Burnham at the party, but misses her. He catches up to her leaving the bridge after discovering the Gormagander. She doesn't believe him when he tells her about the time loop, but he says the same words as Burnham in stereo because she's told him this before many times. Lorca leaves the bridge and Mud finds him. Mud has taken control of the ship's computer and threatens to self-destruct the discovery if Lorca doesn't give him access to a restricted area. Stamets explains what's going on to Burnham and that Mud is trying to find the missing piece of the engine, but he doesn't yet know that Stamets is the missing piece. Realizing the 30-minute window is almost expired, Stamets asks Burnham to tell him a secret that only she knows in order to speed things up next time, something she'll know to believe. She whispers it to him, and Stamets tells her that he's sorry. And then that this is right around the time that Mud kills the captain. Excuse me? In Lorca's menagerie, Mud examines some of Lorca's weapons collection. Lorca threatens him, but Mud just tells Lorca about the 53 times he's killed him so far. 53. I mean, he changed it up a lot too, but man, that was brutal. Once again, the time window resets and we're at the party again. The lights flicker, Stamets finds Burnham and tells her instantly that she's never been in love. That was her secret. She believes him and what he tells her about the time loop. He tells her to pull Tyler aside, but it doesn't go so well and events begin to play out as they did in the other iterations of the time window. Stamets meets up with Burnham in the corridor. He asks her to dance something she's not really in the habit of doing, and Stamets recounts how he and Culber met and fell in love. The end of the time window is coming, and they'll await it together, hand in hand. The ship explodes, and the time window resets once again. This next time through, Burnham immediately pulls Tyler onto the dance floor and asks him to lead. She asks him about sharing a cell with Harry Mudd, and Tyler is taken aback. Burnham tells Tyler that Mudd is aboard the Discovery, and he's trapped them in a time loop. She also explains that Stamets tried to tell him before, and it didn't work. He thought Tyler would believe Burnham because they like each other. Tyler kisses Burnham because, well, if this is a time loop, then why not, right? She says that was nice. They're called at the bridge, but Burnham says they have to ignore it. Tyler recalls Mud claiming to have broken into a Betazoid bank by memorizing everything about it. Burnham realizes that Mud must have a time crystal, but those things are pretty unstable. Lorca is wondering where Burnham and Tyler are when classical music starts blaring on the ship's speakers. Mud enters the bridge and claims to be Captain Mud. He has the computer beam Lorca to the brig. He then pulls out a device he took from Lorca's armory that is said to be among the most painful ways to die. Some sort of dark matter pellet or something. Stamets, Burnham, and Tyler show up. Tyler fires his phaser, but Mud is shielded. Mud throws the dark matter pellet at Tyler, killing him, as Burnham looks on horrified. Mud then demands to be told how to operate the engine, or else he'll kill Saru. Finally, to avoid more killing, Stamets confesses to Mud that he is the missing component to the engine, and Mud beams to engineering with Stamets. Burnham and Tilly examine the space whale, as Michael brings the cadet up to speed on the whole time loop thing. Together, they find a ship hidden inside the Gormagander that houses the crystal that is attuned to the device on Mud's wrist. Now that Mud has what he wants, there's no real need for him to jump back in time again. But Burnham realizes there's something that might be even more attractive to Harry Mud. Burnham finds Mud in Lorca's ready room. Mud sends their coordinates to the Klingons. 
Burnham offers herself to Mudd as a more valuable prize to sell to the Klingons than the ship. Burnham wants Tyler back in exchange. That's not happening. She swallows one of the dark matter pellets, killing herself and forcing Mudd to restart time again if he wants to sell her. You know what happens next, right? The ship, she go boom. This time, Lurka is warned before Mudd arrives. Lurka hands the captain's chair over to Mudd. Burnham claims that Stamets determined Mudd's victory is a universal certainty, and so they have surrendered. Lorca offers the ship, Stamets, and Burnham in exchange for the lives of the rest of the crew. Lorca offers a handshake in agreement, and they do seal the deal. Mudd sits in the captain's chair and sends the coordinates to the Klingons. His wrist device dissolves. The Klingon ship arrives. Mudd orders the Klingons be beamed aboard, and he escorts Stamets and Burnham to the transporter room. Stamets and Burnham reveal that they're on to Mudd. They know he's running from Stella and not to her. Tyler tells Mudd that the coordinates he sent didn't exactly go to the Klingons, but to Stella and her father, the arms dealer, and that they are the ones beaming aboard. Mudd grovels before Stella and tries to justify his actions to her. Stella is still happy to see him and has convinced her father to consolidate his debts. Mudd is forced to go with him and make an honest woman out of Stella. Later, Burnham and Tyler discuss how Stamets told them they had danced in a previous timeline. Burnham says what she's feeling is complicated and strange. But he says he's not going anywhere and that he's sad he missed their first kiss. Burnham finishes her personal log and realizes that maybe this is the place to be after all. Welcome back, Mr. Mud, Space Whales, and 53 Ways to Kill Your Captain. No, wait a minute. We're not really stuck in a time loop, Bill. I got you there for a second. I know I did. You, I had you going I, there, didn't I? You did. I, I was like, what am I doing here? I thought I was Stamets. Yeah, well, you know, uh, those pesky time loops, man. Seriously, as always, great job with the recap, buddy. Uh, there was some amazing stuff in this week's episode, so let's get right into it, shall we? Let's. I can't wait. First thing that we want to talk about that I that I made special mention of is I really got to say I was very happy to see what life on the Discovery can really be like. We've never seen what we saw in this episode before. We saw people having parties and drinking and playing beer pong and having fun. And the thing that I thought was even better about it is they're at war right now, and they're still able to sit back and relax every once in a while. And that's a breath of fresh air, I think. I have to agree with you. I think that one of the things that I appreciate the most about this episode is its placement in the schedule. You know, we've had up till now six really intense, really loaded episodes with some serious character development. And this one was kind of a nice step, not really backward, but to the side to say, you know what, let's let these people take a breath in the the middle of this war. Let's let them blow off some steam. But more importantly, let's tell a fun story. And I think that's the thing I liked about it the most. You know, and probably the closest we ever came to this was was Worf and Jadzia's wedding on Deep Space Nine with the party. And um, I I liked that, that this kind of took that up a notch from there. You know what I mean? 
Oh, absolutely. I, I, I didn't actually think of, of that moment because uh, I was trying to wrap my brain about where we have seen this type of fun going on in Star Trek. And I completely forgot about that. Very good point. I liked how this was, like you said, it's it's another level of that, uh, of having fun and having a party. Um, with Deep Space Nine, it, it kind of was, to me, it was a little cramped because it was just in that one uh, quarters, or maybe it was the wardroom, I forget, but this seemed to be the entire deck. Um, so it really was spread open. Of course, the music was awesome. I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, but it really was fun to see. And the, the cool thing is we get to see it over and over again. So that was kind of neat. <laughs> well, plus, we know that some semblance of the Bee Gees survives into the future. And I think we should all be happy about that. I, for one, am very happy about that. I was I was digging that. I am not going to lie. Um <laughs> The other thing I was digging, my friend, was Hardcourt Fenton Mud. You know, <laughs> he certainly wasn't this evil in TOS. Uh, he is... <laughs> He's a badass in this episode. He really is ruthless. He's cannot, he has no problem murdering people several times. Uh, and it was a bit of a shock, I think, based on what we know with the mud from TOS and in the animated series. Well, but I mean, if you take the mud from Mud's women... He is not a good guy. He's not even a funny guy. You know, in uh, in iMud, there's there's a lot of comic relief there, and and Roger C. Carmel plays it so beautifully in that episode. Even if I'm not the biggest Harry Mud fan, but you know, in, in Mud's Women, he's he's kind of a gross, slimy dude. I mean, you figure he's he's selling women to miners. I mean, people who mine things, not to, to underage people. So I think we get shades of, of this Harry Mud that Rain Wilson is portraying. I think he's dialed it back some by the time TOS comes around because, you know, it's 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 10 years in the future. He's been living with Stella. You know, he's, he's probably mellowed a little bit or maybe changed his tactics because I think in his heart he's still a really kind of a, a con man. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that I think there are definitely shades. What about you? Yeah, I have to agree. Um, uh, unfortunately for me, whenever I think of the character of Mud, I have to unfortunately go back to the comic one. I, I don't. I I never really think about uh, Mud's uh, Mud's women, um, and I, I think that's too bad. I'm gonna have to. What I'm gonna have to actually do is go back and watch the TOS episodes with Mud, um, because I always think of of especially the scene with Spock, Chekhov, McCoy, and Kirk when they're making the bomb, and 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 that's kind of the funny part of the episode, and that's what sticks in my mind. But it really took me uh, back a little bit watching the way that he was in this episode, seeing how he was pretty crazy in this episode, but I think you're absolutely right. It's been 10 years. He's back with Stella and we know what that does to him. Um, so it, it was a good, maybe it was a good segue after all about what we're used to seeing with the character. Plus, I think the other thing about Stella is that, you know, by the time we, we never meet Stella in the real world, we meet his Android creation of Stella and that's really framed in Harry Mudd's perception, right? So he, he pictures her as this, this nagging, contemptuous person that he can't stand, that all she does is yell at him. And for all we know, she's the Stella that we saw on Discovery. And I think that's one of the things I appreciated the most. There's texture texture to this Stella. You know, she's um, she's not that that automaton that just berates him. There's uh, there's a woman there that that is interesting, and I, I think that uh, I think I hope we get to explore that character some other way, whether it's novels or or maybe a future episode. You never know. 
Very, very interesting. I like your take on it, man. The other thing that I liked in this episode, which really stood out head and shoulders to me, was Stamets and Burnham and the scenes that they shared together um, and the emotion in the scenes that they shared together. I think this really laid some groundwork to what we're going to be seeing in the final episodes for this half of the season, and more importantly, for what we're going to see starting in early 2018 with the rest of, of season one. Uh, I thought they were brilliantly done, and I think that they've made a very interesting connection based on the discussions that they had, especially when they were dancing. I like that these two characters get to connect on a human level, and that's something that Michael Burnham is still really learning how to do. But, you know, you figure they are two great science officers and scientific minds, and you know, Stamets essentially gets to to unlock part of that humanity for himself and for Burnham too. You know, I, I love the scene, you know, the, the dance with me for science, you know, it's, it, it, there's a selfishness there because, you know, um, Stamets is like, Hey, dance with me. You know, let me, let me show you this, but th- there's an innocence there and you can see that there's, there's a respect on some level, but there's a there's a sweetness. You know, you start to to peel back some of the layers of, of Stamets, and you realize, you know, he's not this this prickly guy. You know, he's he's so much more, and I think we're getting glimpses of it every week. And with Burnham, you know, especially when that line, "The dance with me for science," she did she had two great looks in that scene when he says both of those those phrases, and the look on her face is like. You kidding me? We're gonna dance? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. And it's just such a it's such a nice scene. And then you hear how Stamets and Culber met and fell in love, and it becomes to me this 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 very sweet exchange of dialogue, where Burnham is learning something about Stamets, and and Stamets is helping Burnham through part of her humanity. It's that scene in particular I I really adored in this episode. I did as well. And speaking of love, uh, how heartbreaking was it for the secret that she shared with Stamets in one of the time loops? And then to hear what that secret actually was in a subsequent time loop that she's never been in love. That really, that really bothered me. I mean, I felt really, really bad for her. And, and unfortunately, I, I was, thinking to myself, it's probably because she was raised on Vulcan. She's never had a chance to even, you know, understand what it's all about. Um, and that's one of the, I don't know if one of the drawback is, is the right word. Um, but it, it really was a, it was a, it was a tender and sad moment at the same time. It absolutely was. You know, I thought about that scene for a long time and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, okay. She, so she was on Vulcan. There's not a whole lot of emotion there, but there was Amanda. And it made me consider, how Amanda must have related to Michael. And I guess I can believe that there was not a whole lot of overt love because Amanda was also raising Spock and Amanda's trying to, you know, sort of uh, incorporate herself into this Vulcan society that she's become part of, you know, by, by virtue of being married to Sarek. And I, I, I felt truly bad for Michael. You know, at first, I didn't think we were going to hear what the secret was. I thought it was going to be a little like uh, lost in translation move, you know, where it gets whispered in Stamets' ear and, and it gets whispered again later and we never find out what it is, maybe at all. But when Stamets told her, I just, I, I, I found myself slumping down a little bit going, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. And it, it made me appreciate Michael's struggle 
for humanity even more. Yeah, I agree. Um, let me ask you this. Speaking of Stamets, we've seen now in a couple of episodes, a complete turnaround is what we saw in the first few episodes. And a lot of people are associating that with the fact that he is now connected to the spore drive. And he is in, obviously, as we saw this week, he's outside of the normal space time that, that we're all in. But let me ask you this. Do you think that it is the spore drive completely or at the beginning of the series when we saw how he was and how bitter he was, it was because what was happening um, with the experiment that Starfleet took it over, his friends over on the Glen were killed, and now that they have it working and a little bit of the spore drive, that's what's changing his whole demeanor around? Or do you think it's specifically the um, connection to the uh, universe, so to speak? From my perspective as a viewer, I, I think it's a little column A and a little column B. I think that, you know, he... I use the word prickly because that's the word that Anthony Rapp used on um, on After Track this past week. And uh, I think he was that way because you know, things were not going well. There was an intense amount of pressure on him. He's part of a war machine that he doesn't want to be part of as a scientist. And uh, there's a whole lot stacked against him, if you will. But, you know, it's like they said uh, in, in Michael's personal log toward the beginning of the episode, that he's, you know, a sort of unlocking aspects of his personality that other people have never seen before. Um, and maybe it's something Stamets hasn't seen in a while himself, but I think it's, I think it's refreshing even to him, especially when he becomes Huggy Stamets. <laughs> I like that. Hashtag Huggy Stamets. I like that a lot. Oh, we're um, using that. We're using that. I, I like it. The other thing I like this week, and we've talked about it over on Trek Geeks before, is, is we love when Star Trek has reset button episodes. And I thought that this was a new way to introduce a reset button-like episode. And it was done in a way that was really fun, it was really scary, and it was really cool all at the same time. It was. And you know, you and I have talked about reset button episodes recently on on Trek Geeks, our other podcast, in in the context of the Enterprise episode Twilight, which we felt is one of the best reset button episodes ever, if not uh, the best. And that's debatable on any given day. The thing I liked about this one is that, you know, uh, there was a grounding in this in this episode, and it was Stamets. You know, they had a really great explanation as to why he was largely unaffected by the reset, you know, why he retained all this knowledge every time. And I thought that that made this episode really work. I um I I have to admit that I was I don't want to say skeptical, but I was uh, I was a little leery of this episode because we've seen time loops before, we've seen the ship blowed up before, and I said blowed up on purpose. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've seen <laughs> we've seen all kinds of things as far as time and time travel and resets, but I, I thought that this one was done very very well. I liked the, the the time crystal aspect. I liked that we didn't know what it was necessarily in the first couple of acts. I thought that that was really an effective use. Yeah. Um, how about you? I mean, you you love reset button episodes just as much as I do. Where does this one fall for you? It falls right up there because of the way that they did it. Now, one of the things that I was wondering about 
um, when they were going through the process of how Mud was able to do this, and and he and Stamets was explaining what was going on, he talked about how he had once robbed a uh, Betazoid bank, I believe it was, and they were going over the different details of how he did it. So it, it, in my mind, and I, it could be obvious, and I just I'm just slow. Um, it seems that he's used this time crystal in the past to do things over and over and over again, so he could rob that bank as easily as he did. Um, so it makes me wonder after this episode takes place, are there other time crystals out there somewhere? Is this something that we may see again? Right. I mean, you know, you figure that there's all kinds of Bajoran orbs that we have no idea what they do. You know, there could be, because this is an alien technology, there could very well be other time crystals or other similar type crystals that have other functions. That's a pretty interesting thing too, I think. Yeah, it, um, it it opens up a lot of possible uh, doorways for episodes, but but back to the reset button aspect. What I really liked about this one is Mud always knew, um, Stamets always knew, and then Michael and other members of the crew started to know as different resets were taking place. I got to say, I would probably be a little nervous knowing I was going to die every 30 minutes and then coming back and re- redo the whole thing again. I, it's it's that type of storytelling in this week's episode that really makes you think. They know it's going to happen. They have to make sure that it happens in a, uh, by a certain time. Or I, it's just it, it can get very confusing talking about it, as any time episode probably can. But um, I would have to put it like the original question you posed to me. I'd have to put it up there as as one of the one of the best ones that I've seen at least in recent memory. And of course, it's fresh in my mind, so a lot of the detail is right there. But it was it was very well done. And of course, with today's special effects, the the, the different explosions and the deaths were just phenomenal to watch. I think that this episode, like you, is right up there as far as reset button episodes. You know, as we consider all of the great ones, you know, a lot of people this past week have been quick to say, well, this is essentially just a ripoff of cause and effect from Star Trek The Next Generation. And that's really bothered me. I can see this as a tribute to cause and effect. But effectively comparing this episode simply just because the ship blows up at the end of of every time loop uh, to cause and effect and saying it's a ripoff, I've really, I think it's just a lazy comparison. If you're going to cause and effect, we had a temporal causality loop, and that's not what we had here. We had a, a essentially a, a manufactured time loop that was initiated each time by a human. Mm-hmm. You know, they had found a way to sort of transcend that using alien technology. So yeah, at the end of the day, every 30 minutes, the ship blows up. Okay. I'll concede that's a little bit like cause and effect, but when you start to look at what drives the episode, it's to me, it's absolutely nothing like it. I think that's a very good way to explain it. I too agree that it's it's it is a lazy uh, way to describe this episode. Cause and effect is is awesome. I have always loved it. It's one that you can watch <laughs> over and over again. I didn't mean that to be, <laughs> yeah, but anyway. But this one completely different. And I think what you said is really what makes it stand out. The the temporal causality loop is a is a phenomenon that takes place. This is done on purpose by somebody, and it's it really is kind of scary to think about somebody's going to do that if they have that that power to do so. Yeah, I I I agree with you it's a tribute to cause and effect, not a rip off of it. Very good uh, analogy there, Matt. Thanks, buddy. Well, you know, we've had some great discussion so far, but it's time to get somber cuz here we are on the somber part of the show. This is where we remember those we lost in tonight's episode, and we like to call it 
the red shirt roll call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. You know, Discovery is a Star Trek show where we're going to lose crew and we're going to lose characters. That much is certain. And this week, we actually got to watch them perish over and over and over again. Or did we, Bill? Who can we who can we say goodbye to this week? Or who will we not be saying goodbye to this week? Well, Dan, it was a rough week for the Starship Discovery. I'm not going to lie. We say goodbye to Captain Gabriel Lorca. And Captain Gabriel Lorca. And Captain Gabriel Lorca. And the rest of the crew of the Discovery about, oh, almost 60 times. But hey, we got them back. So luckily, Dan, there are no real actual entries in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. So certainly, that is a reason for a huge disco party, my friend. Wow, I like that. If it had been deaths, it would have been a lot of drinking because we usually raise a glass of synthahol. I can't say it very well because maybe I've been drinking already um, in their honor and memory. But luckily, as you just said, at the end of the episode, everybody's safe and sound. So it's a clean week for the Red Shirt Roll Call. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has so many collectible pin offerings. As fans of Star Trek, you know, we often love other characters and franchises. So, you know, whether it's Star Trek, our first love, or or DC Comics, or, or Marvel, or Firefly, or even something I've heard of called Harry Potter... I'm not really sure what that is. Fansets has just the pin for your favorite characters. So head on over to fansets.com. Check out their huge array of products and accessories. Plus, we have an exclusive offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. For this week only, enter the discount code STELLA, that's S-T-E-L-L-A, at checkout for 10% off your entire order. And of course, due to the storm here in the Northeast, we are extending the time to use this discount code all the way to Sunday, November 12th, 2017 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Nice. I like that. Almost as much as I like Stella as the code word this week. Uh, Yeah, folks, take advantage of that savings because you uh, will not be disappointed. Fansets is constantly releasing new pins, and this is just a great way to save some cash and also add to that awesome Fansets collection. Another way to add to your awesome collection, Dan, is by signing up for the brand new Fansets episode pin collection, too. Oh, yeah, that's right, man. It's it's awesome. The uh, episode pin collection is that unique way to show your love for the latest Star Trek saga. This collection consists of a unique pin for each of the 15 episodes of Discovery's first season, plus a special season pass pin, which is available for you to order right now at episodepins.com. And here's some awesome new news that just came down. The folks at Fansets have actually extended the deadline to get that special season pass pin. Head on over to the site, sign up for the collection before midnight on November 17th, 2017. Orders placed after November 17th will still receive the 15 episodic pins, but you will not get that additional season pass pin. Bill? So, as Dan mentioned, you need to head on over to episodepins.com and place your order right now. So then, about four to six weeks after the ninth episode airs, the first eight episode pins in the series will go out to subscribers along with that special season pass holder pin. 
and then again four to six weeks after the last episode of Star Trek Discovery's first season airs in 2018, the remaining seven pins will ship. Now, just to clarify, we had been telling folks that the first nine pins would ship, but due to the fact that CBS added the ninth episode to the first half of the season not that long ago, there hasn't been time yet to produce that pin. So it's going to ship at the end of the season instead. We do apologize for that mix-up. Oh, no problem. I, I kind of like to think of that as getting a bonus at the end of the season, so it's all cool. Fan sets. A set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line at fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. You know, Bill, as uh, we head into the sensor analysis for this week, you know, we remind people that Trek has always been a reflection of our times. And here in this segment, we're going to take a look at what this episode helped us discover about our own humanity, or even perhaps what it tells us about ourselves. So uh, let's start with you, my friend. Um, What did you think about this week? There was a lot of stuff to chew on, I think. You know, there really was. You know, in previous weeks, we've had some fairly serious topics that that we've considered as the humanity of these episodes. And and finding the humanity in this episode in particular is is kind of a different task in a way. You know, we've been dealing with war and the actions of a Starfleet that is responding to a galactic threat in a way it's it's just not used to. This week, though, we get a change of pace, and I think they really earn it. As I as I looked at this episode, you know, the one common theme that came to me was was trying to find where we all belong in this world. Yeah, everyone we meet is going through something in their lives. And all we can own as humans is our ability to react to it and what that reaction means to ourselves. You know, Michael Burnham is trying to find her path with her humanity, and it's it's an uncertain journey for her. And that's something people deal with every day in, in very different ways. It can be frustrating, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. You know, I've, um, I've, I've spent a good portion of my adult life dealing with situational anxiety. And it's the result of years of abuse I endured as a child. And that's been a, a huge and monumental struggle for me. There, there are days where it bests me. And there are still other days where I literally kick its ass. And in those moments, it's a challenge to just go and just be and just do. And my place in the world then seems very uncomfortable. But you know, kind of kind of like Michael Burnham, I, I must boldly go. You know, she has to be on this journey of discovery and, and realize her humanity just as as I must discover things about myself to fully realize mine. You know, I, I have those words, boldly go, tattooed on my wrist. And it, it's a trophy of the accomplishments I've made. And it's also an ever-present reminder of the fact that I can do so much more than I think I can sometimes. You know, it's funny. We heard some um, some great music in this episode from uh, from Wyclef Jean and uh, the Reverend Al Green, who's one of my favorites. I love 70s soul music. And I can perhaps sum up this whole thing using a different classic song from uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates. It's uh, also from the 70s. It's called Do What You Want, be what you are. You know, there is so much to discover in this world. Just be who you are and boldly go. That's what I had this week, Dan. 
Wow, man, that is that is a lot to take in and very, very well done. Uh, kudos to you, my friend. You know, this week for me, uh, the moment that meant the most to me and showed me so much wasn't even from a human, actually. Uh, it was from Saru. Uh, I found it very interesting when Mud was threatening the life of Burnham on the bridge. Saru, this being who seemingly always lives in fear as a trait of his species, shielded Burnham with his own body to protect her. He who has been arguing with her up until a couple of episodes ago and and was angry at her for the death of his captain, he was willing to, quote, take a bullet for someone. Um, the ultimate act of kindness and humanity coming from a Kelpian. It makes me think that there's more to our world than the hate and chaos that we constantly see on the news or hear on the radio. There is genuine love and respect, and we must always, always hold on to that. So, Bill, it's time for this week's Starfleet Commendations. Um, As you know, we're going to pick one, two, or three things that we want to specifically call out in the episode. Uh, could be characters, performances, scenes, whatever you want. So uh, um, I'm going to start with one, and then let's bounce back and forth since it's just the two of us tonight. Uh, the first one I want to point out is Rain Wilson's performance as Mr. Mud. Uh, to me, it seems like this is going to be the last time we'll see Mud until the original series. And man, did did Rain Wilson have fun with this character. Uh, he added layers to Mud, as we talked about earlier, um, and I said, I'm going to go back and watch those TOS episodes again. And, and I am no, really I am it, it, mud episodes, but I'm going to go back and watch them. And I think, uh, I'm going to have a better appreciation for the character and for what's going on in those episodes. Now that we've seen this mud in Star Trek discovery. Yeah, that's a really great point. You know, I love doing these commendations every week. It's one of my favorite segments of discovering Trek because just you get to tell people they did a fantastic job, you know, or there's something that really meant a lot to you in the episode. And I think as Star Trek fans, that's something we're all really been itching for for so long. So first up for me this week, Dan, I gotta, I gotta give a commendation to CBS's licensing department. (laughs) You know, thank you for updating what classical music means and for paying for the rights to both Wyclef and Al Green songs, because it just made my night. You know, we've, we've taken a little lesson from the, the movie franchise where the Beastie Boys seem to be all the classical music they have, and we've kind of expanded it here, which is fantastic. Um, all we ever got in TNG was actual classical music, and that has its place, but man, I got to think the parties on the Enterprise D must have been a total snooze fest. <laughs> I had to mute myself because I was laughing at that last comment. That was good, man. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Um, second for me, uh, we we mentioned it uh, at the opening of the show, but I got to give a commendation to both Anthony Rapp and Sinequa for that dance scene in particular. For me, this may have been the most emotionally powerful scene that we have seen in Star Trek Discovery, but yet it wasn't outwardly very emotional, if that makes sense. Um, the change that we've seen in Stamets is really awesome. And like we talked about also, I hope it's not something that stops or is explained in a way that it just makes it really bad that this happened to him. Because it really isn't bad. It's really great to see what this character has turned into over the course of the last few weeks. That scene 
really shows the connection and the family that people can be on a starship. I thought it was brilliant. You know, my second shout out this week is uh, gotta go to Rain Wilson. I I love his updated portrayal of Harry Mudd. It's such a great take on that character. You know, it's a it made me take Harry Mudd seriously. Something I've never really done before in the other incarnations he he appeared in in TOS. Uh, just a fabulous depth um, and just a, a really fun performance, Dan. Very fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people. I don't. I haven't really seen anybody who's disliked uh, Mr. Wilson's performance as as Mud in the two episodes that we've seen him in. Um, as it is Halloween week, I am going to give a scary commendation uh, for my final commendation, um, and it is this. Is anyone as worried as I am and the fact that those purple dark matter crystals were from Lorca's lab and he has them hidden away to use at any time? It's a little little scary that someone uh, as damaged as he is right now has access to something that deadly. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a really great point. <laughs> and uh, Dan, my last Starfleet commendation has got to go to Anthony Rapp. Um, I I know he listens to a lot of Discovery podcasts. He may or may not hear this, but, you know, we just saw so many different types of reactions from Stamets, and they were all fantastic in this episode. Huggy Stamets was a scream. Dancing Stamets was just delightful. I think there are so many layers to this character that we are just now getting little glimpses of, and it's so cool. You know, he's, he's... very quickly becoming one of my favorite characters in Discovery and really even in the whole of Star Trek um, because he is that that layered and that interesting. Everyone in the cast this week was great. I mean, make no mistake about it. But uh, I truly thought Anthony stood out. Absolutely. Very, very well. Very well done, sir. Uh, great commendations this week as always. Long range scan of planet complete. And now it is time for our long range scans uh, co-host podcast partner, Bill. Um, what do you think is going to be coming up next in either episode eight or maybe a little bit down the road? You know, episode nine's coming up soon and then that's going to be it for several weeks. Uh, what do you think? Well, you know, I've given this some thought and I know that, uh, that very soon we're going to get to learn more about Saru and I'm really fascinated by this. I can't wait for this episode. I know it's, it's written, uh, by, uh, Kirsten Beyer and I, I love you know her work and and I know that uh, she's going to bring something really interesting to this character. But I think that this coming week, Dan, we're going to get some critical insight into Saru's prey mentality and his fears. And honestly, I think that Burnham is going to become more important to him than ever because I think he needs her to ground him. Uh, I, I think there's going to be some. Something that that brings the two of them together and, and solidifies that relationship, even though he did, inherently doesn't trust her. But I think it's going to become even more more important and serious this week. Wow, yeah, uh, my long range scan is also for next week's episode in particular, and it's based on what we saw in the preview. Um, for me, I don't think what we're going to see next week is what the preview makes us think we're going to see, and by that. As you mentioned, it looks like it's going to be a very Saru-heavy episode, but I don't think that it's Saru who Lorca is talking about when he says at the end of the preview, now is not the time to grieve. For me personally, I think it's Admiral Cornwell, and I think Lorca is going to take part 
somehow in her death because we know if she's rescued, he's going to lose command of the Discovery and he's not going to let that happen. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen next week, but we shall see. Not too long ago, our friends over at Fansense announced the release of the Series 2 set of Star Trek Discovery pins. And for the last week, folks have been entering our special contest to win a set of these beauties. And it's time to pick a winner, isn't it, Dan? It is. I look forward to this part of the show every week. Um, We want to thank all of those people who retweeted our pinned episode tweet over the past week. We've taken a list of all those who participated, and we want to congratulate at Cohen Prime 86 as our winner. You, my friend, have just won the Discovery Series 2 set of pins, and they include the USS Discovery, Captain Lorca, First Officer Saru in gold, Lieutenant Stamets, Cadet Tilly, and non-com Burnham. But, as Bill mentioned, this week, you have the chance to win something else, and it's real easy to do, isn't it, partner? Yes, indeed, Dan. As we celebrate Halloween this week, we've selected five of the creepiest aliens from the Fansets inventory for this week's giveaway, and they are the Salt Vampire from the Man Trap, the Magatu, Oh, the Gorn, a Jem'Hadar soldier, and a Borg drone. I love this set of pins. This is fantastic. All you have to do is retweet our pinned episode that's at the top of the Discovering Trek Twitter page. That's it. Find it, retweet it. Next week, Dan and I will pick one random winner from all the people who participated. And um, I just want to let you in on a little secret. It could be you. Those are awesome pins, man. And that was an awesome Gorn impersonation. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So please, everybody, be sure to tune in next week to see if you have won this special Halloween spooktacular set of pins. And by the way, next week's giveaway is going to be epic. So be sure to listen in for all the deets. And as always, we thank Fansets for sponsoring today's episode. So, uh, hey, buddy, what's going on next week on this here podcast called Discovering Trek? (laughs) Well, Dan, next time on an all-new Discovering Trek, we'll take a look at Star Trek Discovery's eighth episode, Siwis Pakem Parabellum, If You Want Peace, Prepare for War. And joining us to break down the episode will be our good friend Brandon Shea from Trek FM. In the meantime, please remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or by heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. And for those of you who hear us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you'd rate and review the podcast. That will help other Star Trek fans find the show. Dan. All right. Well, that is it for Episode 7, everyone. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for the patience while uh, we got everything situated here in the Northeast with the bad weather. And until next episode, here are some words of wisdom from this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery from Lieutenant Stamets himself. Never hide who you are. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive Producer Dan Davidson. 
For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com. <laughs>